Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This week, we're returning to the theme of the Anunnaki, but we're looking at it more as an academic study in which we review the stones, otherwise known as clay tablets or cuneiforms. My guest today has researched and found a lot of inaccuracies which have been reinterpreted and reclassified. And in recent discoveries, there are now over 500,000 of these clay tablets. These tablets portray a civilization highly evolved, very sophisticated, and master astronomers who also consume mind-altering psychedelics. Today, Lost Stones of the Anunnaki with my guest, Madeline Danes. All this and more from Earth Ancients. Saturday, January 28th, 2023, this is Earth Ancients. I'm your host, Cliff Dunning. Well, hey, how you doing? Hope you're doing well today. We're going to continue with the Sumerian theme this week. Graham Hancock has a portion in his website where he offers... Uh, scholars, research investigators, and authors a chance to uh, shed their mind, in other words, write about their topics. And I have found a few different people for Earth Ancients in our program here on his site. My guest today is a Sumerian scholar. She's actually an art historian and a linguist. And this isn't going to be a an extension of Zechariah Sitchin's Anunnaki, the Aliens. She's a a, a real investigator, a real scholar. You know, she's a Sumerian scholar in a way, and she has written a number of books. The book we're talking about today is "The Lost Stones of the Anunnaki" and the mind-altering journey to find them. And she has reinterpreted a number of major scholarly texts on the Sumerians. And we want to have her on the program because we want to understand just what these tablets, these cuneiforms that were written thousands of years ago, have to say about the Anunnaki. And, you know, Sitchin, (laughs) because there are so few people that are really cuneiform scholars, Sitchin kind of ran wild in his interpretation of these uh, texts. But I have to say this in his defense, and um, 
Uh, I mean, I his books are a fun read. There's a lot to like about him. There's a lot of solid evidence. And one of the areas that I've always questioned, and we'll hear about this today, is the Sumerian king list. And specifically, the lines 1 through 39. And what makes this king's list, the Sumerian cuneiform that has this list on it, is that eight kings, and this is, these are all considered antediluvial, pre-flood. And you know this is a real a real problem for me, and for for people like Graham Hancock, in that we don't know who these people are. They don't have a name. We always we always consider them pre-diluvian, antediluvian, pre-flood, so forth and so on. But in this cuneiform, we we learn about the eight kings ruling five cities. And they reigned between 43,000 years ago and 25,000 years ago for a total of 241,200 years ago. Now, are they, are they mythological kings? Well, there's no evidence of that. And by the way, uh, Sitchin picks up on this quite uh, clearly and ties it in with what he believes are these extraterrestrials, the Anunnaki, uh, that uh, were apparently very long-lived people. They lived thousands of years, and uh, these kings were were likely offshoots uh, from, or or hybrids from the Anunnaki. But we're going to hear about this king's list today and the problems it causes a lot of scholars. We, we, We simply don't uh, have any rational thought of five human beings, Earth humans, uh, living uh, thousands and thousands of years. Now, Sitchin gets around that by saying the orbit of planet X or Nibiru, which is the uh, alien's planet, uh, orbits our solar system every 25,000 or so years. And that's how they, you know, they are able to live so much longer than us. Uh, It gets kind of confusing. Obviously, if they're a god, they're able to regenerate. And that's another story in Sitchin's books, The Twelfth Planet. Uh, That's one of his books. Uh, But but it's really curious, this King's List. And it's always been uh, a contention of mine. Where are these cities? Uh, They don't exist anymore. Uh, they're pre-Diluvian for for sure, and we're going to hear about Atlantis today. Is this a link to Atlantis? And actually, you're going to be surprised at the answer. But you know, it's it's fabulous to consider <laughs> tablets that have these kind of dates. So, if you're an Anunnaki enthusiast who believe that it's true, we are hybrids. So forth and so on. You're not going to. You're going to be let down a little bit. This is going to be more academic in many ways, with some nice turns in and out. So I just don't. I mean, it's it's funny because I we just don't have any answers on these pre-diluvians. Even even Graham uh, in his ancient apocalypse series, you know, talks about the Quetzalcoatl, uh, Veracocha. 
and these other savior gods, which were probably human beings who came from these antediluvial societies. Did they come from Atlantis? We don't know. The Maya say they uh, their uh, Quetzalcoatl came from uh, Atlant. And that is a hyphenated term for Atlantis or a Maya term for Atlantis. And that's what my mentor, Humbats Men, the uh, Mayan daykeeper, mentions to me. There's a number of other daykeepers that talk about Atlan, uh, as well as the Aztecs, as well as a lot of Mesoamerican cultures. But when we go to the Middle East, when we go to Sumeria, when we go to uh, pre-dynastic Egypt, we don't know where their ancestors came from. We don't know who were the ones who built these megalithic temples in uh, Dendera, in uh, actually the Giza Plateau. There's huge questions. You know, you won't hear a, uh, a Egyptologist say that the uh, Kefren Pyramid is uh, not from a pharaoh. They're just, they, I mean, they, they uh, will scream and yell and say, well, look, here is a hieroglyph or a, um, a symbol for this pharaoh who, who built the pyramids. Well, it's really looking like these guys inherited much of the ancient uh, pyramids, temples, and buildings that are uh, identified as pre-dynastic. Uh, and so, I mean, everyone says that uh, Ramsey II was this great builder. And yes, he did build a lot of temples, but he was also kind of uh, lazy and put his cartouche on a number of major statuary. And also, I think he, he put his, uh, his cartouche on a number of temples and... You know, we don't know because we we don't have enough literature on it, but uh, some of these works are just beyond the craftsmanship and and the technology of his reign. But there are rumors. I mean, uh, the Egyptologist uh, Muhammad Embryon believes that it's possible that there was a uh, renaissance of technology during his reign, 2500 B.C., and what does that mean? Well, maybe they found some of this earlier technology and were able to uh, reproduce it and create statuary stone uh, buildings and cutting technology and lifting technology that allowed them to build or augment buildings. Uh, as a reminder, we will have Chris Dunn on the program. He's got a new book on ancient Egypt coming out this summer, and he actually uh, picks up where he left off on the evidence of high technology in the cutting tools, uh, not only of uh, uh, granite, spe- specifically red granite, but of the statuary, these huge standing figures that are at Luxor, uh, that are at uh, Dendera, that are at uh, uh, Abydos. I mean, when you go to the Osirian at Abydos, those stone blocks weigh in excess of 100 tons each. 
And, you know, it's so funny because Egyptologists don't even consider it technology. They're just like, well, no, we read it here on a, um, a document, and this hieroglyph says this pharaoh built it, and this is the technology of the day. That's why it's so upsetting to a lot of people, specifically engineers, that they would claim that without looking and approaching these objects, artifacts, buildings, pyramids, so forth, uh, with a multidisciplinary approach. It's slowly kind of happening, but not happening fast enough for a lot of them. So, So today's program is a look at the cuneiform, the writing of the ancient Sumerians. It's a little less exciting for the ancient alien crowd, but stick with it. She has a lot of interesting things to say, and um, we've had scholars on the on the program before talking about uh, the cuneiforms and uh, how important they are. So the program today is Lost Stones of the Anunnaki and the Mind-Altering Journey. To find them, my guest is Madeline Danes. This is a preview of the Earth Ancients Mexico Tour, November 10th through the 17th, 2023. So I'm really excited on our upcoming tour. It is in Mexico, southern Mexico. We're going to be heading to Palenque on the second day. And we have Dr. Ed Barnhart with us. He will be leading us through one of the most fascinating sites. I have not been to Palenque in all the years I've been to Mexico, I don't know why. It's such a fascinating place. The The most noted king is Lord Pakal, King Pakal, which is a fascination by himself, not only because he's buried in the Temple of Inscriptions, but he was a master builder and actually is credited with building a lot of the temples, pyramids, and buildings that lay in this Palenque, this ancient Maya city. Hey, Ed, great to have you uh, with me. Let's talk a little bit about your work in um, Palenque. What makes Palenque unique? Well, I think first and foremost is Palenque's beauty. This is such a fantastic site. There are many beautiful ruins, but this one sits on the in the foothills of the mountains there with seven rivers coming down. There's waterfall green beauty birds and monkeys everywhere it's it's absolutely fantastic and and one look at that beautiful architecture with the misty green background it evokes that kind of spiritual wonder that you don't get from every ruins yeah you know it's curious you've been there a lot you you did your post doctorate there and you actually surveyed a portion of it and one of the things that I find fascinating is the fact that they have discovered that there was a sophisticated hydraulic system there, wasn't there, where water was pumped and moved around quite uh, long distances. Absolutely. We've known for a long time that the in the center of the city, in the palace, there are actually toilets, and they were able to pump water up uphill to the toilets and then back out of the palace. Oh, my But what I discovered uh, out in the woods far away where nobody had ever really looked at where the surrounding community of Palenque is, is that all of the houses had indoor plumbing. I see it breaking through their 
patios and there are some places out there that are entire aqueduct systems that are very elaborate again pushing water clearly uphill there are there are compounds that have uh swimming pools in their backyard like modern houses wow. it's really a a hydraulic uh a hydraulically amazing site there wow. there an interesting distinction of palenque is they weren't trying to bring water to places they were trying to control water before it washed them off the mountainside. So there's all of these ways in which we can see they were uh, hydraulically engineering the city to move water off of living spaces and into places like toilets and pools. Wow. Hey, one of the reasons that it's fun to have you there is obviously you know most of the buildings and the pyramids, obviously. Uh, is there any place that we get this kind of check out that is off the beaten path that the general public doesn't get to see? Well, I will show you the majority of the city and the way in the city center that most people visit, there's about 30 buildings. Yeah. I mapped over a thousand new ones. Wow. And I know where all the trails are leading out there. And some of them are in amazing states of preservation, buildings we can walk inside and I know where to find these things. And really, besides me and the Maya guys who live in the nearby village of Naranjo, nobody else does. But I'll bring your group out there and we'll go see, you know, what I like to refer to as hidden Palenque. Wow, that sounds exciting. All right. Hey, November 10th through the 17th with Dr. Edwin Barnhards. This is a fascinating tour for many, many uh, reasons. I am really looking forward to it. Make sure that you register. We're, we're, we're filling up really quickly. It's November, obviously, and we're still in the early parts of the new year, but, you know, we want to fill up quickly so we know what to do. And actually, we can tweak the the itinerary just a little bit and maybe add a few uh, visits to, to places along the path. So, uh, Ed, thank you, and uh, we'll uh, catch you again. Thank you, Cliff. Looking forward to the adventure with you. For the complete itinerary and to register, go to earthancients.com forward slash tours t-o-u-r-s come out and join us you'll have a blast does monday at the office feel like a storm not with microsoft copilot that feeling when copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly it's sunny again when copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act that sun's shining on a beach and when copilot uncovers hidden insights you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. world we have to always consider what writings we do have what 
information that's been handed down to the, to us. And the, the uh, Sumerians at this point are considered one, if not the oldest civilization. And when I say civilization, they had writing, they had astro- astronomy, they had medicines, they had a, a science in place. Mm-hmm. And they also left us uh, evidence of their thought forms in the in clay, what are called cuneiforms, these tablets. My guest today is what I would consider uh, a research investigator into the ancient past. Uh, her name is Madeline Danes. She, I found her on Graham Hancock's website as a contributor. In fact, Graham actually has her featured in a number of places as one of her uh, go-to people. And let me tell you a little bit about Madeline Danes. After completing studies in both art history and linguistics and a career involving translating, Madeline chose to investigate the Sumerian language from an innovative angle. We're going to learn a little bit today about what that means. With an emphasis on the earliest pre-cuneiform photographic forms. And I have been reading a book that she recently published called The Lost Stones of the Anunnaki and the Mind-Altering Journey to Find Them. Uh, That's just one book. She's written a number of books in this uh, kind of vein. And uh, she has a lot of interesting things to say, most notably about the Anunnaki. Madeline, welcome to Earth Ancients. Hi, Cliff. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Wonderful to have you. What, What got you started in researching and actually feeling that the uh, interpretations given by the academia on the cuneiforms were something to, to look into? Well, it started with a trip to the Louvre, you know, the museum in Paris. Mm. And in the bookshop, they had a book with cuneiform, all the pictograms uh, and the, the changes over time to the abstract forms. And so I took the book home and began to look at it very, you know, in detail. Mm -hmm. And because I've had some experience, quite a bit of experience translating in the financial world, um, I thought I'd I'd check between what I was reading there and the texts that actually appear quite extensively on, on the websites of the universities. Mm-hmm. Um, and try to work out the grammar. Try to try to work between between what I was seeing, the lists of signs and the the transliterations, as they call them, the alphabetic forms of the original signs that uh, uh, that were on the on the web. Hmm. And of course, the most interesting, because I was interested in the original, the earliest pictograms, which are around 3,500 B.C. on to 3,000 B.C. <clears throat> uh, I thought I'd have a look at the what is the oldest known text and try to work it out, try to work out how it had been translated. And I was shocked. So... How to, how to explain this. I don't want to be too technical. So, I mean, were you, were you looking at these uh, interpretations of, of certain um, what were thought dates and events and, and, and reading between the lines and saying, 
uh, or discovering that they weren't actually interpreting the material correctly? Well, yes, I, I can give quite a good example. Uh, the, the, the text is called The Instructions of Shurupak, or Shurupag, you can pronounce it how you like. Um, and it's supposed to be the advice given to his son by a wise man. And the first, I don't know, maybe 40 lines have in the, in the translation, translated form, they have, you should not, you should not this, you should not that, you know, advice to the son, everything he shouldn't do. Mm-hmm. So, and anyone can do this. I just looked for the pattern. Where would I find in the transliteration, the original alphabetic forms, where would I find this pattern of you should not that would I would expect it to appear, you know, at least on every other line, if not on every line, as it was on the translation. And actually, it wasn't there at all. There wasn't even a negative. Hmm. The, the negative, the alphabetic form of a negative in Sumerian is nu, N-U, just N-U. Not one sign of it, nothing. So that was the first thing that made me think, hmm, very strange. So did you actually begin uh, uh, grabbing uh, noted documents that were interpreted by the orthodoxy or specific uh, uh, linguists who were the noted leaders of of Sumerian texts? There's there's just one main translation uh, of of the text on a on a website that you can find uh, easily. So it's just just a translation. There's a translation, um, and behind it there's a transliteration. So you can go on the web and look for it yourself very easily. Hmm. It's actually the uh, University of Oxford. Okay. It, um, E-T-S-C-L, Electronic Text Corpus of Sumerian Literature. Okay, so it's easy to download and, and just, uh, you could just... Absolutely, see it from... yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody, anyone can go along and do what I've done, they can verify what I've done. Let me ask you, uh, the amount of research you've done on the Sumerian culture, you know, is impressive, are they the original culture? Are they, are they um, remnants from the pre-Diluvian culture that you write about? And if well, that, I mean, we don't know the name of the. We we all say anti-Diluvial, uh, pre-flood, pre-Diluvial people, but we don't really don't know who they were. We we just refer to them, right? So who are the Sumerians? I'm not a historian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, I'm a translator. That's that's the thing, you see. What, what I did was I just came to this whole subject from a completely, probably unique angle. I wasn't trying to 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 de- debunk anything. Mm-hmm. I was just curious about the language. So when you ask me those questions, I can give you a, an opinion, but I, I can't. Yeah, you know. Well, that's that's what we're getting right now because we don't have documentation uh, except for references of this pre-flood culture, whoever they yeah. are. 
Well, I found traces of the flood story in the so-called instructions of Shuruppak. So, so that dates to 2600 BC, that text. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they found fragments of the text that they dated by the writing to that period. And that's literally the oldest text we have okay. of, of any writing anywhere. So, so in 2600 BC, they were writing about the flood. They were writing about Noah. They were writing about building the ark. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And all of that hidden behind the wise words of the father to his son. But um, I, I can't tell you more. I mean, I, I've made connection. The connection that I sent, in fact, to Graham Hancock I made the connection between the language of 3,300 to Pillar 43 at Gobekli Tepe. I make a connection to that. So So talk a little bit about that connection. I mean, that's amazing that it would... Does it actually say Gobekli Tepe, uh, a turkey? Ah. (laughs) Uh, Well, it doesn't say turkey. Um, Turkey. in, in the translation that I did, I mean, it's 280 lines. Mm-hmm. Uh, and each line is, I don't know, maybe 10, 12 words. So it's quite a long text. And I found go and be together, two words, mm-hmm. two words. Um, and on the next line of text, I found kili. So... That is either a very, very big coincidence, or there's something more there. Wow, that's yeah. pretty amazing. Um, do you think uh, Zacharias Sitchin got it right? I mean, uh, obviously he. Okay. Could I just finish up with Gobekli oh, Tepe? Please, please. I mean, please. I'm happy to talk about. No, no, no. I, I didn't. Go ahead. Uh, what I sent to Graham, and that was back in 2016. What I found on one tablet uh, was an image of what I thought was so strangely similar to the two main pillars in the Gobekli Tepe circles with a circle around them, an image of two Gobekli Tepe stones encircled. On, on a tablet dating to 3,000, approximately 3,300. So I sent him that image at the time. I didn't know him. Um, I found his email on his site. He's, he's a very nice guy. Um, and he responded and he said, yeah, it looks, indeed, it looks very, very like it. And he went on to use that tablet image uh, in his presentation of magicians of the gods. Hmm. So that's that's one connection. Uh, so apart from the words that I found in my translation, and I didn't only find those words. I found the three baskets of pillar forty three. Okay, so talk about that. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, that that again is in the translation. It's. Um, Three lines of, no, actually, it's six lines of text. And 
three baskets. So these are, in the context that I found in the translation, these are during some kind of festival. These are offering baskets. Uh, so, you know, three baskets, okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it may be, again, just pure coincidence. Maybe it's not. Hmm. What's, what's your intuition say to you uh, when you uncover a reference to Gobekli Tepe in terms, of it, in terms of its importance is what I'm trying to get at. It's screaming, look at me, you know, it's extremely important. It's, it's, it's our past. It's, it's, it's this, well, Sumerian, which is badly named because Sumerian is a modern name. This is, this is the language of Mesopotamia. Mm. And it's the oldest language that we have. Apparently, there are some maybe 500,000 tablets lying around in different places. Not all of them from the fourth millennium, of course, but still. I, I mean, there must be so much more to be learned from them. Hmm. And if we, can, if we can connect them, which I believe we can, to Gobekli Tepe, then that's one hell of a step back, you know, 9,600 yeah. BC. Yeah. And, the, and there are other reasons. I mean, I've, I've given you a few there, but there are other reasons to connect the language to Gobekli Tepe. Just, just the uh, T-shaped stones, I've found other examples uh, on the tablets of those, which I put in my last book. So are you saying that the, the tablets actually show uh, images of what could be a T-shaped? Uh, uh... Absolutely, absolutely. Unfortunately, there are some words, just a, well, probably quite a few in fact, that have never been given a meaning. Mm. Uh, and that one happens to be amongst them, of course. So, uh, but but yes, yes, absolutely. But then, you know, you know, when you think about Karahan Tepe, the latest site that they found, there were T-shaped stones lying around on the surface. Hmm. So it's it's not an incredible idea. It's not uh, an impossible idea that uh, they would still be mentioned in much later writings. I um, find that fascinating. One of the things that uh, we are suspecting uh, that Gobekli Tepe and these other tepes were used as were education centers mm. for, for post-flood survivors. Uh, uh, astronomy. Astronomy. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. these... Um, for these cuneiforms to to provide reference is amazing. Uh, I think I've never heard this before. Well, well, this this is what I'm finding. Uh, I so when I say that I translated, I I've written three books now, but the first one was my first translation. I'm currently working on a second long translation. And this one, uh, I'm finding a, a great deal to do with astronomy. So I'm hoping to find some interesting stuff and publish it sometime this year. It's so okay. vague, uh, 
what we've figured out on these uh, these temples there at Gobekli Tepe. Mm. Uh, there are some references to some some uh, different planets on some of the T-stones, the, the uh, pillars. Well, particularly Pillar 43. That's the one that Graham writes about in Magicians of the Gods. Right. That, I mean, if, if, you could, if you could prove that those guys knew about precession of the equinoxes, which mm-hmm. is not a speci- speciality of mine, I have to say, as a translator, all I do is follow what I find, right? Mm-hmm. I, I know, know very, very little about astronomy. But imagine if you could prove that they knew about a, a great cycle going back thousands and thousands of years. You would, you would buy that. You would be proving that there had been other civilizations. Yes. Do you have a sense that the Sumerian inherited their knowledge, inherited their uh, scientific prowess from the pre-flood people? I can't answer it. I don't know. Okay. I don't, well, do, do I have a feeling that there was knowledge from... <laughs> My gut feeling, Yes. But you know, I'm I'm working with facts. I'm not. That that's just opinion for the mm-hmm. moment. Okay. Uh, if, but if I could if I could find mention of precession, mm-hmm. I think that would be uh, a good place to start. I, I'm just so curious about the Sumerian. They seem to show up completely evolved, completely. Uh, I mean, like they've had thousands of years of of uh, development, mm-hmm. and and yet, you know, uh, it's it's funny because unless you can tell me more, it seems like like I said, it's like here they are, and we start hearing about them, and they are complete. Same thing yeah. kind of goes with the Maya; they show up, they're complete. And we have fragments of, of their very early history. Right, right. Well, the same thing for Egypt, huh? In many ways, yeah, in many ways. In um, fact, I, I, I would make a connection, a very strong connection between ancient Egypt and Mesopotamia, definitely. Hmm. Is there any specific line of, uh, of uh, dialogue or reasoning or... Absolutely, absolutely. The 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 journey of the dead pharaoh, the the, the spiritual journey. That's what I'm finding. Hmm. So there's and, references to the book of the dead in some of these tablet forms. Oh, I I think that they 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 are describing the same thing that is described in the hieroglyphs in the in the pyramids. Yes, yes. Even even to the point where you have in Sumerian you have the word Ra, R A, which is in in the dictionaries given as to thresh. So this is Ra, who is threshing. This is the the Egyptian Ra, the god, the sun god. So I have I have Ra as 
sun god in in Mesopotamian, in Sumerian. Hmm. In fact, I prefer to say in Mesopotamian. I hear myself saying it uh, because Sumerian is a is a completely modern name. Hmm. So uh, yes, yes, definitely, ancient Egypt, Mesopotamia, absolutely, yes. So they're all somewhat connected in a way. Very strange. Well, I think so. Yeah, I, so. I got to talk to you, uh, and, and this is a real strange one for me and uh, the academic world kind of glosses over it but uh the king's list yeah. which you bring up quite a bit in this lost stones of the anunnaki and it is uh considered to be a listing of these uh various kings that ruled uh these cities the sumerian mm-hmm. cities mm-hmm. and i would like to to get your point of view on the first uh, line one through 39, which highlights the eight kings ruling five cities mm-hmm. for a total of 241,000 plus years. Yep. They must have had very long beards. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, this is this is the foundation for a lot of Zechariah Sitchin's work. Uh, uh-huh. And the fact that he believed the Anunnaki were aliens who came to you Earth. You know, I, I I read I read his books a terrible long time ago, so long ago. I thoroughly enjoyed them, but I don't remember all the details. So yeah, carry I, on. I won't I won't ask. My my question to you is: what, Do you believe that there were uh, actual human beings that? had reigns of between 43,000 and 25,000 years. In all logic? Well, uh, it, it couldn't be an earth, earth human, but what, what do you think is going on there with that interpretation? What do you say? I, 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 I would say, I, I don't know, but I would say that it has to do with astronomy. I, I, I'm not thinking of it as, as lives. I'm thinking of it in terms of astronomy. But I, but I don't have the answers. I really don't. Okay. So, I mean, I'm not asking for answers, but I'm, I'd be really mm. interested mm. in uh, your opinion of yeah. that uh, cuneiform. Well, the, the list, the, the pre-Diluvian list, as they call it, they say it's uh, probably originally separate from the rest. Uh, because it's a very, very long document. Uh, what can I say about it? I, I, I really, truly believe that it has to do with astronomy. Okay, so what do you mean by that? The, cycle, mean, the, cycles, well, of, the cycles of planets moving in and out of the, the cosmos? Or t- t- give us some details. Oh, I, I can't give you details. I, I've translated what I've... What I've found, I think there are references to uh, perhaps to planets, yes, but uh, which planets and where they rotated, it's just not my speciality. Mm-hmm. I, my, my gut feeling is that it has to do with astronomy. Now, I think we need Randall Carlson on that. <laughs> I really do. Okay. I would like to grab Randall Carlson and say, work this out for us. Uh, right. You know? Uh, you reference uh, John Allegro's books in in mm. in uh, your work. His mm. early book, which is I think around fifty years ago, is when it was published. Nineteen seventy. 
Wow. Okay, it's been a while. It was rejected uh, uh, by the Orthodox uh, Orthodoxy uh, for mm. for his work, but you have reevaluated his uh, interpretations of the Sumer text. Why is his work so of, uh, great of interest to you? Well, I didn't know about John Allegro. I did all my I did this long translation, which took me about two years to do. Mm-hmm. and spent all this time with the Sumerian writing, and I didn't know that John Allegro had even existed. Mm. I was delighted to discover John Marco Allegro and his book, and I discovered it thanks to Joe Rogan, because he mentioned the name when he was talking to Graham Hancock and Randall Carlson. Mm. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, that's a mistake. It was when he was interviewing... Brian oh. Muraresco, that's it. Brian, right. Right, that's when he mentioned it. And uh, so, in fact, I'd already done my translation and discovered that there was mention of psychedelics. There was mention of what I call mind-altering substances, of, of rituals. I found two scenes in my translation. And... Lo and behold, I discover that to this guy who was a philologist, who was a, an, working inside academia, had said the same thing. Mm-hmm. But, uh, well, it didn't go too well for him, you know? Do you think that's because the, uh, the identification of mushrooms... I don't think the subject was really something that academia wanted to get into. Um, When you think about the original people who translated the Sumerian, that was the uh, 19th century guys, I don't imagine that they were looking for psychedelics when they did their (laughs) translations, you know? Yeah. And if they found them, I don't think they would have said anything. So, no, John Allegro, very interesting, very interesting. We're going to take a short commercial break, and we will return with Madeline Danes speaking on her book, Lost Stones of the Anunnaki. We'll be right back. My guest today is linguist Madeline Danes, who's written a book called Lost Stones of the Anunnaki. And in many cases, she is reinterpreting some of the passages that are noted by archaeologists today. Talk a little bit about Allegro. Uh, he, he actually identified using not only mushrooms, but cannabis. Isn't that correct? Uh, no, no, it's not, actually. I, I was the one who found oh. cannabis. 
um, I found cannabis uh, actually written as Kanab, which is the Persian etymology of the name, uh, in my translation. I found it. it it's there. Kanab. Kanab. Three words. No, John Allegro was very much uh, with the fertility cult. He was convinced he, his his thing was the heavenly penis. You know, he was the one with the 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 semen from from the heavens. Mm. Uh, and really, I mean, he he seemed to believe that the entirety of the writings were focused on that which is not what i find at all but uh no, this, no, no. this his writing was very distasteful to the orthodoxy i guess i dare say it was i yeah. dare say it was yes yes yeah. yes not at all to their taste and and uh, i must admit that when i tried to understand how he was using the Sumerian words because there's a, I've got the book and, uh, and I try to, to dig into the actual Sumerian side of it. I couldn't really understand his thought process. Hmm. Talk a so, little bit about your uh, findings of the use of hallucinogens and perhaps psychedelics uh, in these tablets. How are, are these being used ceremoniously in special rituals or, or what? Well, I can only talk about what I've found in the translated text. Um, and yes, apparently, yes, there is one. Uh, the second scene in my translation appears to be a, a, an initiation process. Mm -hmm. And there's chanting. There, apparently there's music. Uh, it's really interesting, but you know, I can't, I, I wasn't there. Huh? Mm -hmm. So it's only what I find in the, in the writings. But are they I found, right? I found Am Amanita. I found the name Amanita in just one place, okay. but not in that text in, in another list of words. Obviously Amanita Mascaria is mm. the, the 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 mushroom yeah um, the red one with the white spots yeah that uh, well that that uh, John Allegro was uh, writing about right um who who were the anunnaki and what do you um, what what did yeah. you what did you find on them i started the book really as an investigation you know and the, the process being, and this is the way I work, is that everything gets peeled back to the earliest visual forms of the language, so the pictograms, and everything gets peeled back to individual words, so monosyllabic. So Anunnaki, huh, An which is sky, anuna, three words, a, which is water, nun, which is the big question mark, na, which is stone, and ki, another question mark. So you have one, two, three, four, 
five words. Um, what I find from my monosyllabic point of view is that the important word is none. And that's given in dictionaries as guide. And I, I honestly believe, and this is another element of my work that probably doesn't go down well with academia, I really believe that this is the origin of later languages and that none gave nonus, Latin nonus, and none. And that it's the origin of our word none, the none. The none is a guide. So mm, what is it that you want from me, Cliff? What is it that you want from me? There's so much to it. So even though you've read Sitchin's, you know, years and years and years ago, mm, mm, he mm. wrote <laughs> uh, eight or nine books on this civilization known as the Anunnaki, mm. who were great. Ah, well, okay, okay. So is is Anunnaki a civilization? Is it a is it a group of people? I don't find evidence of that. Hmm. I'm willing to believe that perhaps. There were many nuns, but in the actual writing where I find the word Anunnaki together, because it's a phrase, I don't find anything that really indicates a plural. Hmm. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist. So I'm sorry, I cut. cut so short. no, that's fine. So so Sitchin believes they came from uh, uh, Nuribu, uh, a planet. Mm. That was coming close to Earth. This is, you know, yeah, yeah, hundreds of thousands of years ago, and that they were great influences uh, of the Sumerian culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, that's not what I find. I mean, I, I, I don't know where he got it from. The problem I have is that there are no references. I can't go back and say, ah, this is, this is where he got that from. Uh, as I remember it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, as I remember it, he didn't give references to particular texts and this line or that line, which is what I have deliberately no, done. No, he couldn't have done that because it would have filled his, that would have been a huge section. Of, I mean, half the book would have been cuneiform reference text. <laughs> well, well, yes and I no. Th- I mean, yeah. if, he, if, he got, if he found a phrase saying the Anunnaki came down from this place, he yeah. should be able to say in which text and which lines he found those words. No, but I don't, I think, don't think he. I don't think he gave them. No, I, I think I mean, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, no, I don't, I don't find that stuff. But Nibiru, it's not Nibiru, it's Nibiru. Nibiru. It's very interesting, nevertheless. I'm, I'm looking at it now, to tell you the truth, in, in the translation that I'm working on now. Um, Nibiru, uh, here's the problem. When you look for Nibiru, which is an academic word, I mean, they do use that. When you look for it in the transliteration, it's, it comes from two completely different words. So, God, I don't want to get too technical. Um, but Nibiru, in fact, 
Okay, in the text, it's two different words. It's not, it's not something that you would read as nibiru. It's two different words. And I write about that in the book. I have to read the book. So, but nibiru actually appears on certain tablets opposite this other name. And it's interesting because it makes me believe that it refers to Icarus, Greek mythology, Icarus. You know, he's the guy who climbed up to the sun with homemade wings covered in wax. Mm-hmm. and his wings were melted by the sun, and he fell back to earth. And it might be a metaphor for some kind of catastrophic, catastrophic event on earth. Mm. So that sort of comes close to what Sitchin was writing about, I mean, for him, Nibiru was actually, uh, what was it, the 12th planet? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, whereas whereas what I'm finding is that it, it is connected, let's just say that, it is connected to some kind of catastrophic event. So, interesting. So, it comes close to Earth and causes uh, uh, gravitational shifts which cause catastrophic events. Is that... Is that what, is that what he wrote? Um... Not so much. It was more that this is where these aliens came from, these Anunnaki, right. uh, and they needed to mine gold and so forth. I mean, mm. <laughs> he gets into the creation of the Adam, uh, which right. is the uh, current Homo sapien sapien genetic engineering hybrid. I mean, it's a whole world that he's he's yeah. created. Well, I'm I'm uh, you know I don't want to. Uh... I don't want to spend time saying bad things about other people, but I, I, I don't know where he got it from. Okay. Well, I, there's been a lot of other people that have said that too. Mm. Uh, in fact, there's a number of, um, uh, of people who have said that he's misunderstood the tablets and uh, uh, taken them out of context, which we don't know. Because we don't know. We don't have the references. I would love to go and prove him right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be interesting, but I wouldn't know where to look. I mean, I could take the separate individual words. Uh, for example, there was he he mentioned Shah, I believe S H A R. Do you remember that? I don't. Well, uh, at at one point, I I remember seeing this word in relation to Sitchin and actually that's another interesting word because it means slaughter (laughs) and I did find it in my translation and it has to do with the the sun god and Sirius uh, making decisions about the slaughtering of humanity so you know again again it's interesting (laughs) <laughs> but I don't have any aliens. I'm sorry. I cannot come up with aliens. I don't have any. Okay, so no references of ships of any kind in what you've seen at this point. Ships? Uh, a- uh, aircraft. Oh, aliens. Uh, alien oh, aircraft, yeah. Mm, I'm afraid not. Yeah. No, but, you know, you know. 
So you I haven't, uh, I haven't I haven't done that much translating. If you have if you think about hundreds of thousands of tablets or uh, even just dozens of texts, huh? I haven't uh, dug into all of them. So who knows? But what is your what is your feeling on this race of beings known as the Anunnaki? Uh, are they pre-flood people? I mean, where wh- who are they? I think that's a very good question. <laughs> okay, um, so that means either you don't want you don't want to say, or you just don't know. No, it's I, I really don't know. I mean, what's the point in saying? Oh, I think this and I think that. Yeah. <clears throat> I really don't know. What I can say, I can tell you where the where the name Apkalu comes from, and that is related to Anunnaki. I mean, uh, Apkalu. When you read it again, when you go back and you look closely at the transliteration. It comes from Nun, again, that's the central word of Anunnaki. I would I would never have I would never have talked about Anunnaki. I would always always have said the nuns. <laughs> that would have been my way of talking about them if if I got a chance. But now with all the layers on top of you know what whatever was first said, uh they've they've come into existence. But Ab Abkalu comes from Abgal, which means great father, mm-hmm. and that is found opposite none with me, which is for me the most interesting of all the words. Me, which is M E, like me, and which has the meaning spirit and magic, magician. So none with me. This is a guide who is also a magician, a spiritual guide, a magic guide. Is it an alien? I don't know. Hmm. And a great father, so definitely an ancestor. That's that's as far as I can go with that. Wow. It's funny because, as you said in the very beginning, uh, there's, what did you say, 500,000 of these tablets. Or, bi- or bits and pieces of tablets. I'm sure they're not all intact. Yeah, but still, um, the the possibilities of somebody reaching in and grabbing a grouping and, like Sitchin, interpreting in a certain way, you know, unless they're all chronicled and been deciphered there's no way to know what he's tracking there's no way to know what he's interpreting yeah yeah i I wish he had left his references i really do of course when when we say five hundred thousand tablets we're talking about at least three thousand years of history across across uh, mesopotamia so uh, it's not all the earliest text and i'm sure some of it is very very boring Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, there's, uh, frankly, I don't think very much has been translated at all. Yeah, I want to go back to the pre-flood, the pre-diluvian uh, references. Mm-hmm. Is there any kind of uh, uh, reference to an Atlantis or a Lemuria early pre-flood civilization? Uh, I, oh, we can go back to Sitchin again. Because Atlantis, okay, Atlantis, yes, oh, Atlantis, there's, there's a, quite a bit to be said. Um, we can go back to Sitchin because he had 
famously presented a cylinder seal with what he said was a representation of the 12th planet. Do you remember that? Oh, very. That's Yeah, he actually uh, uh, uses that seal quite a bit. Yeah. Well, that was supposedly debunked by a guy called uh, Heiser, something like that, who had a whole website about uh, Zachariah Sitchin. And his complaint was that Sitchin had not translated the words on the cylinder seal. And so, of course, I went along and had a look at the words on the cylinder seal. And I found Atlan, not the Tis, but I did find Atlan. Wow. Yeah, and it's three words, At, La, and An. So At is actually a word. Uh, these, the, everything I do uses the orthodox translations, right? There's nothing fanciful. I'm not going out and inventing words. At is given as, I think it's grandfather or father. La is to hang, and an is sky. So how do you translate that? Hmm. Huh? The idea of a figure being hung in the sky would, to my mind, mean that a star or a planet has been named after them. Hmm. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it brings up more questions than it answers, I'm sure. But, yeah, it's complicated. Atlan. It's the only place I've found those three words together. The Maya actually use the ancient land of Atlan uh, in their writing. I think it's even referenced in one or two codices that they've. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. So that that's that's fascinating. And that, and and referenced as as a place. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. And uh, what is it? At just Atlan. Atlan. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Huh. But I'm just curious if. Um, if any of these cuneiforms actually uh, refer to this place and reference it as the pre-flood, the origins of the pre-flood people. Oh, what more can I say about that? Yeah. Well, we would, we have the, we have the first city being the city of the disappearing fish. That's in my book. Hmm. So uh, in the King List, the first city that they cite, it's given in the, in the Orthodox translation as Eridu. But in fact, if you look at it, it's the same word as none. It is none. Uh, it's hmm. the same word. So there's one tablet fragment of the King List, because this is, you know, there are quite a few fragments here and there, and they put them all together and com com compose something where, where they're all more or less integrated. But there's one fragment where Eridu, or Nun Ki, Ki being place, is replaced by Ha, Ah, Ki, which, which means the fish, 
the place of the place of the fish, the place of the flowing fish. So possibly something there to be to be gleaned. Mm. Yeah, I mean, Atlantis is supposed to have been a continent in the Atlantic Ocean. To uh, have sunk. Yeah, yeah, to have sunk underwater. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm very willing to believe in that. Absolutely. Mm. But, wow. you know, again, opinion, opinion. What's the... Graham, very useful. Yeah, Graham yeah. Hancock uh, refers constantly, especially in this new series, uh, Ancient uh, Apocalypse, to an unknown civilization and references there these uh, saviors, uh, mm. Quetzalcoatl, uh, mm. the Veracochas of South America, and other beings who came from uh, perhaps Atlantis, perhaps somewhere else we don't know about. Mm. Did you find any any kind of reference or or uh, sightings that talk about these uh, individuals or perhaps where they came from? You have some very difficult questions. Not really, not a, not as such, not as such. I, I, I mean, we haven't spoken at all about Hermes Trismegistus, you know. And on the king list, I find a reference uh, which leads me to believe that there is some connection there. Hermes uh, being written in Sumerian. I mean, uh, the, the mess of Hermes, in fact. Oh, the, That's the problem, you see. I can do this in writing, but talking about it is not so easy. Mm. Uh, in the King List, on line, I think it's line 36, there are a couple of words, two words, that are absolutely not translated, not mentioned. I mean... All through these texts, there are so many words that have just been left out, forgotten, or sort of integrated into complex, meaningless names. But on that line, there is mess. There is me, which, as I said, is the word for spirit, magician. And there is S, which is the number three. So potentially three magicians potentially uh, a link to some people who came with their wisdom, as in Hermes, as in uh, Quetzalcoatl. I don't know if I pronounced that right. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, bringing wisdom. Yes, it's, it's possible. There are little, little hints. But nothing that I could say. Oh yes, I found them. You know. Yeah, not like outright words like uh, Veracocha or a version of Veracocha in Sumerian. <laughs> well, well, I have I have pretty good pretty good versions of Hermes Trismegistus. Huh? I explain yeah. that. I explain yeah. that. But uh, yeah, you know. Hmm. Talk a little bit. This book, by the way, Lost Stones of the Anunnaki, is filled with. Um, uh, I guess you call them coincidences and one mm. of the coincidences is uh, mother and son between the Sumerian and the Greek words which you say mm. 
are too great to to be ignored. Talk a, a little bit about that. Well, this is the question of etymology. Where do we get our words from? Huh? Everything can go back so far, and then, then you know, where where did they come from? And uh, in the dictionaries, it's written all over the place from pi. And pi being a great acronym, I hate acronyms, pi meaning Proto-Indo-European. And it really means that we just don't know. We don't know where our words came from. Mm -hmm. And over and over again, I have found coincidences, coincidences. Um, I'm just thinking frantically, can I I give you an example of them? Um, Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Um, well, you have one in here. Uh, it's, it's mother and son. Is that, a, well, good, is that a good reference for you? I don't, well, give me more. Uh, what, did I, what did I put? What, what, what was the word? Let's find it's, it's, it's the, not the word mother, I don't think. Uh, uh, I have Amma. Amma and Nita. Yeah. Well, that's, there you go. That's, that's the mushroom, Amanita. Amanita is a Greek word from an unknown source. Mm-hmm. Very good example. Where, what is the unknown source? Where, do, where did the ancient Greeks get that word, Amanita? Why did they look at that red, white dotted mushroom and say, ah, Amanita? Where did they get it from? They got it from the Sumerians. It's, it's actually the, the, the two words, Ama, the mother, yes, and Nita, which has the meaning son, uh, are written together on one of the tablets, Sumerian tablet. Nobody ever mentions that. Hmm. So that's that's one example. There are very many, but my mind has gone blank. Uh, <laughs> I've written I've written them down, Cliff. <laughs> They're all written down. Wow. Yeah. So yes, it's important. Of course. They say, they have always said, that Sumerian, which gave birth to later Akkadian or Assyrian, uh, is an isolated language. That's the general consensus. Sumerian appeared and disappeared. Nothing is related to Sumerian. And what I'm saying is that everything is related to Sumerian. Hmm. It all goes back there. Yeah, so you you consider it the mother tongue. Yeah, uh, and and it's you not, say it's every not a, yeah yeah sorry, sorry go ahead no no but it's, it's, it's I was going to I, I sort of getting worked up about it 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 it, it just seems so obvious to me so mm-hmm. uh, the book's called Lost Stones of the Anunnaki and the Mind Altering Journey to Find Them I guess today has been Madeline Dan- uh, Danes Madeline as we conclude I want you mm-hmm. to talk a little bit about this Marduk. Uh, who's, who, who's portrayed as a god, but it's almost like he was a human at one point, an earth human. Is is that a possibility in your in your uh, decipherment? Well, I'm going to disappoint you. I don't think he existed. Hmm. I don't. I don't find Marduk. I, do, I don't find the name Marduk anywhere. And oh my god! Wow. Uh, 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 he, you know, histor- historians didn't talk about Marduk. Herodotus never mentioned Marduk. He had the 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 great god for him was Zeus, Belus. It was not a guy called Marduk. 
So, you know, <laughs> what more is there to say? I, 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 <laughs> Marduk doesn't exist. Sumerian doesn't exist. They're modern. Hmm. These are all, these are modern names. I'm not going to go as far as saying that the Anunnaki didn't exist, Cliff. I wouldn't go that far. We just don't know, I guess. We haven't gotten through those. Well, 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 we we know that Herodotus gave Zeus Belos, so why not go with that, you know? Hmm. The great god. There was a great god, just a, just a different name. What is the most fascinating aspect of the Sumerian society to you? We still don't know a great deal uh, about them. I've been to... I haven't been to Turkey yet. Oh, well, excuse me. I have, ah. I have been to Istanbul, but right. I haven't had a chance to see Gobekli Tepe or Derinkuru, these underground cities. Uh-huh. There is so much of our ancient past we just don't know about. It's fascinating. I, I've been to Gobekli Tepe. My dear son dragged me out of my cave. Wonderful. And I actually went to Go, Gobekli Tepe with him, and we... We had to sit and look down at it because they had a great big canvas across the top. Oh, right. But, yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, it's amazing to see it. And now you have Karahan Tepe. Yes. You have to go and see that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But what's your feeling on, on the Sumerians? Were they, you know, uh, I mean, obviously uh, highly civilized. Mm. Uh, astronomers. They were astronomers. Yeah. <laughs> And but, and and spiritual too, you know. Mm-hmm. But as we close, is there something that you have discovered that makes them keenly unique? Hmm. Keenly unique. Yeah, I mean, here you are writing these books, uh, and they're I think they're almost a constant theme, aren't they, in your work? Well, it's it's the Sumerian language. It's their language. Uh, are they unique? Of course, they're the first. They 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 definitely the civilizers. They're they're the, the astronomers. The first astronomers. Mm-hmm. Where did they come from? That's fascinating. Everything is fascinating. I I can't. I can't answer that. It's just all completely fascinating. That's why I spend most of my waking time staring at these words. (laughs) Madeline. (laughs) Which I probably shouldn't do, but there you go. Fun. Hey, really a pleasure having you on the program. And uh, thank you, Cliff. It was a, yeah, it was a, something new for me and a pleasure, too. Thank you. Um, I want to mention that you do have a website. What's uh, what's your web address again? Give it to uh, us. It's just my name altogether, madelinedanes.com. Right. Hey, I wanted to ask you, you have quite a few articles on Graham's website. Are those same articles on your website as well? They are, they are actually referenced to Graham's site. So the links are there, and you can read them on Graham's site. I've written 10 now. I could probably use them for a book. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. They're, they're all there. Wonderful. Hey, great fun. Thanks again. Thank you very much, Cliff. Thank you.
I really wanted more from Madeline. I wanted her to tell me, you know, about these pre-Diluvian people. You can hear me asking and asking and asking. Nobody seems to be able to have an understanding of, of who they are, you know, and this is the big question. Is Are they, you know, in league with the uh, Quetzalcoatls of the world, these um, uh, the great white gods who re-educated much of Meso- Mesoamerica and probably other parts of the world? It's almost like, you know, we're told there's 500,000 of these stone tablets that are still left. It's, it's like I'm waiting for somebody to uncover this uh, information. But, you know, given... The academic mindset about uh, antediluvial topics, you know, they may treat it like the king's list. You know, here are these uh, five kings that lived a total of 400,000 plus years. Uh, You know, maybe that's, uh, they they will consider it um, mythology. Excuse me, not 400,000, 200 plus thousand years prior to written history. So if we get inklings about this, these early people that Graham references, that uh, so many of the authors who we have on this program reference, no one's really giving us details. You know, what do we do? Do we jump right into Atlantis? Does this get into Lemuria? Does this connect with the uh, Akashic Records, you know, that that uh, universal database that we've talked about on Destiny repeatedly, we don't know. But it's really, I mean, it's like, it's like we're on the edge of knowing. And when we find out about these pre-Diluvian, antediluvian people, what does that tell us about ourselves? What if they're, as Andrew Collins says, they are this denificent race of beings, big, uh, bigger cranium, bigger brains. I mean, if you remember, Andrew Collins says that, um, the, the, and according to him, the, the denificents were the ones who ran Gobekli Tepe. I don't know. You know, uh, I mean, I, you know, we get into the whole, they are giants, they were sophisticated. We have jewelry with very fine drill holes and markings and things like that. Really hard to say, but it's a big question that I would like to have answered because it's it's a it, once we know, then you know things begin to fit a little better. And the King's List. Why don't we know more about the King's List? Why is it so distasteful for the academic community? Well, uh, obviously, the dates are insane. The reign of eight kings ruling five cities. Each reign is between 43,000 and 25,000 years each. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. (laughs) So fun. So so amazing. Uh, You know, if Sitchin was still alive today, I would hope that he would tackle that. You know, I think there would be an outcry for him to tackle the the pre-Diluvian, the the uh, the people who are before the Sumerians. You know, fascinating, fascinating topic. Hey, I want to remind you that our guest next week is Eric Van Donigan, 
who has written a new book on evolution. I, I just got it, and it is his take uh, that Darwin is wrong, uh, that our understanding of our ancestors is incorrect, and that we have evolved in a manner that is not how we are taught in school. So I'm looking forward to speaking with him. I haven't spoken to him. Well, I mean, we speak, we speak to Eric once a year, typically. He'll come to us from Switzerland, and we're going to hear about this book. I don't think it's out yet, so I'll make sure that I have all the details where you can get a hold of it. And I think it is recently been translated. The book's been out in Sweden for maybe a year or two, recently translated by an American publisher. And I got a copy of it, so I'm looking forward to checking it out. It just came, and we'll hear from him on exactly what he's trying to uh, present to us. Oh, I just got it. Here it is. Here. it's. Uh, here's the title. Evolution is Wrong, A Radical Approach to the Origins and Transformation of Life. Brand new book. Just came out. He explores... Darwinism, he basically says here, a fascinating a fascinating exploration of why Darwinism no longer explains everything. So, all right, so we'll look forward to hearing from Eric next week. And that should be interesting, always interesting to speak with him uh, and fun to have him on the program. Hey, if you're enjoying Earth Ancients, please consider becoming a subscriber for as little as $5 a month. You can support Earth Ancients Destiny and Earth Ancients Special Edition, the archives. And your contributions really help us keep the lights on. It's a great deal of expense and energy and manpower to do these programs. And when you subscribe, you help us, you support us, and we really appreciate it. To become a subscriber, go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash earth ancients and check it out we got a ton and i mean a ton of ebooks i think we're over we must be getting close to 30 now most of them are donated by our guests and some of them are actually quite interesting a lot of them are one of a kind so that's something to consider you also have a chance to see unpublished interviews and there's some galleries in there those are gifts and thank yous from us For more information, go to patreon.com forward slash earthancients, 5, 10, 15, even $20 a month makes a huge difference, and uh, we really appreciate it. Hey, we have a couple of spots left on our Grand Egyptian Tour, May 2nd through the 14th, 2023. We all meet in Cairo. The price, I, I mean, I've been reading some prices out there, most of these are about 10,000 plus. Ours is less than half. Less than half. All you got to do is get yourself out to Cairo. And we cover everything else, including picking you up at the airport, checking your baggage, and uh, getting you at the hotel. And after that, you are a VIP guest, and everything's taken care of. You don't have to worry about a thing. It is one of the most fabulous tours I've ever done uh, to a person. We've been doing this now. We're in our fourth year. Everybody loves it. Everybody enjoys it. They have a blast. It's relaxing. It's informative. And it's mind-blowing. For more information, go to earthancients.com 
forward slash tours. Look for the Grand Egyptian tour banner. Click on it and you'll see the entire itinerary. Register with us. Be one of the last people. We're only taking about 25, 30 people. Uh, We only have a few spots left, too. So come out and join us. You still got time. It is going to be mind-blowing. If you have any questions, send me an email at earthancients4u, the number 4, the letter U, at gmail.com. I'll answer if I can, most of the questions I can. And uh, hey, it is a blast. Come out and join us. EarthAncients.com forward slash tours. All right, that's it for today's program. I want to thank my guest, Madeline Danes. Came, she came to us from France today. And also my team of Ruth Thomas, Mark Foster, and everyone who makes this thing happen. You guys rock! I mean that, too. All right, take care, be well, and we will talk to you next time.